Good morning, everyone. Let's have our second Bible reading for this morning. We're going to read from Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. From verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Thank you, uh, Tim, for reading that passage of scripture for us this morning, and uh, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Galatians uh, chapter 6, as well as to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, if you can, that would be great. Well, let's uh, pray and ask God's help as we look at his word. Heavenly Father, we pray for wisdom and understanding of your word. We ask, O Lord, that you help us to apply this word in our lives as we think about the cross, its implications for us, and pray that your spirit will be at work in this place. For without the power of your spirit, we can achieve nothing. And so we trust in you, Lord, to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, this morning we're going to uh, look at uh, this text before us and uh, title the message, What Are We Boasting About? Now, friends, I'm sure that there are lots of things we can boast about today, can't we? We may boast about our jobs, we may boast about our investments, our houses, our cars, and some of us may even boast about our sporting teams, except for myself this morning, if you know what I'm speaking about. What a terrible game some of us had on Friday. I don't want to even go there, and I don't want to talk about it, so, but I'll rejoice with those who have won and will be playing the finals. Just speaking of that, in fact, I had taken to our church camp my Geelong jumper and everything else. I was looking forward to watching the match at the camp on Friday night. I had the guy, in fact, set up the whole system in front of us at the end of the camp to look at this match. It was a terrible thing. I didn't even watch it after that. And same last, this last week, I just moved away as well. We can boast about lots of things, can't we? We can boast about our families, our kids, our achievements. It starts right, of course, even when mums and perhaps dads meet at, uh, at play centers and other places. Oh, my child has done this, and what has your child done? And, right? My child goes to this school, and what about your child? It can start in many ways. Now, of course, we can, of course, we can be proud of 
our achievements in the right sense of the word. Our achievements are that of our kids. Uh, for example, if you've constructed something, if you're a carpenter and you made a nice table or something else like that, you might take pride in your work. If you have cooked a wonderful dish, you might take pride in that. Look, I've done a great... Uh, it's up to the people who taste it to tell you whether it's good or bad. But you know what I mean, right? In the right sense of the word, we can take pride. To, not, not to take pride in ourselves, but to give thanks to God for the capacity to achieve those things in our lives, always reflecting back on God's grace and his sufficiency to achieve anything in our lives. And so today in our letter, Paul speaks about the cross as he brings this letter of Galatians to a close. See, friends, the entire purpose of this letter to the Galatians, I hope you've got the message, was to make clear the fundamental distinction between the salvation by works and salvation without works. And today as we look at this letter, we come to the summary section here in Galatians. When we started our series in Galatians in February this year, by the way, towards the latter part of February, we had a long spell in Galatians. I titled the series, Real Freedom. Real Freedom. What is real freedom? Because Galatians is often called the Magna Carta of Christian freedom. The message of Galatians is that of freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, that we have been set free in Christ, that we don't have to follow the Old Testament ceremonial laws. We don't have to follow, as the Judaizers were saying to the Gentile Christians, that they had to be circumcised to be part of the Christian family. We don't have to do any of these things to be part of God's family. In Christ, we have been set free. Do you believe that? We have been set free from the bondage and the shackles of our own sin. We have been set free to enjoy God. We have been set free to live our lives in confidence. We have been set free to honor this God in our world. We have been set free to know the power of Christ and from the shackles of death itself. And what a blessing that is. How many people today are held captive and not actually living a free life? And real freedom, real peace, real joy comes as we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ once and for all. And if you are seeking freedom in your life through any other means, you will be bitterly disappointed <laughs> because you will not be free. In fact, you will be shackling yourself with chains. So if you are to enjoy your life, and if I am to enjoy this life that God has given me to live, and every day is a blessing, yes? We were driving up this morning and Rose was praying, I was driving. I kept my eyes open, so it was all good. <laughs> and we were and she was praying, you know, Lord, thank you for this new day. For every day is a gift from you. And how true is that? And if you want to live a free life in Christ, to experience the grace of God, to experience these blessings, then you and I need to live that free life that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, the problem at the church here in Galatians was this. Essentially, it was this. 
There were Christians who had false teachers who had gotten to the church. They were called the Judaizers. We've been through that process. And what they were insisting upon the church was this, that the Gentile Christians, that if they were to become real Christians, to be part of the family of Israel, to be part of the Abrahamic family, what they said was, you Gentile Christians, you have to do certain things. One, you need to keep the ceremonial laws of Old Testament Israel. Secondly, you have to honor all the commandments, the law. The third thing they said is that you have to be circumcised. Because if you, do not, if you haven't done these things, well, you are not a real so-called Christian. <laughs> and against this background, the Apostle Paul comes out with a powerful message. And he says, it is Christ alone, and it is not Christ plus other things. Because if you are going to be set free, if you're going to live the life that God has given you to live, then you cannot put Christ plus anything else. And I want to make that absolutely clear to us, anyone here this morning. If you are thinking for a moment that you can add to your salvation, if you are thinking for a moment, I can do something to be made right with God, you are totally wrong. Correct? Because you and I can add nothing to it. The only thing that we can say is, Lord, I bring nothing into this world. I can take nothing out of this world. I cling to you totally, fully, and utterly. So friends, you cannot be part of this congregation in that sense and say, well, you know, if I was to die today, I am not really sure. Uh, maybe I am good enough. Maybe I have lived a good life. If you have said that, and if you are saying that today, let me say it clearly again. You will not get to heaven by saying, I need to do good things. All right? So the message of Galatians is that we are set free in Christ alone, and this is all of his grace. And as we have seen, as I mentioned, the problem already in the Galatian church. And uh, Martin Luther, I'm actually enjoying reading lots of stuff of Martin Luther. I was reading, in fact, last night, another thing on Martin Luther. Did you know that Martin Luther wrote 95 theses, uh, and he nailed it on the door of the church in Wittenberg? But we don't really think about the other aspects of Martin Luther. He wrote another 28 theses after that, focusing on the cross. Right? And Martin Luther, uh, he, he, made this, uh, uh, he, he did say that ultimately, that if you are to be right with God, you need to come in faith in Jesus Christ alone and nothing else. And this is what Luther said. I was a good monk and kept my order so strictly that, that I could claim that if ever a monk were, were able to reach heaven by monkish discipline, I should have found my way there. If it had continued much longer, I would, what with vigils, prayers, readings, and other such works, have done myself to death. Done myself to death. You see, Luther thought that he was not good enough for God and that he had to work his way up the ladder, so to speak, until he finally understood that Christianity is not what he had to do for God, but what God had done for him in and through his son, Jesus Christ. And so for us this morning, it is good for us as well to be reminded of the freedom we have in Christ alone and not Christ plus anything 
in our lives. We have been justified in Christ alone. And this does not give us the right to live any way we want, but rather we live now in obedience to him. That is the fundamental teaching of what we might call justification by faith alone. That is, that in justification, that is, we have been made right with God. That is, that God declares a sinner righteous. It is a forensic term. It is a legal term where God takes a sinner. He makes him his child and declares that person righteous and right before him. Once and for all act of God. No more repetition of that act in a person's life. That is the fundamental teaching that we see here also in the book of Galatians. Justification by faith in Christ alone. And so we have been justified in Christ. And so this morning as we look at this text, we see Paul saying something very interesting in verse 11. If you have your Bibles, please have a read uh, with me, please. In verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 11. Okay? I write to you with my own hand. You see, Paul had dictated most of his letter to his secretary. Isn't that good? We have secretaries, eh? You just dictate things and they write. That's a good thing, right? So Paul has been, declared, he's been, he's been uh, uh, saying these things to his secretary, but now we see that Paul finished the letter in his own handwriting. There is something strange in the writing here, as we see. Paul has taken the pen out of the hand of his secretary, and now he writes it in his own handwriting. He speaks about large letters. You see, Paul's handwriting was perhaps distinctively large. We don't know that. Some other commentators say, well, the large letters, scholars say that these letters are capital letters. Whatever the case may be, here in this letter, Paul is giving credibility to what he has written. In this letter, we see the authenticity of the Apostle Paul. In this letter, by writing with his own and writing at the end. Now, some people say that Paul had a problem with his eyes. He had... Uh, um, particular issues with his eyes and so therefore when he wrote he would have written big letters we don't know the circumstances whatever it may be what we see here is what I might call and it's important for us to note what I might call apostolic authority in the writing of the Word of God correct now, yes, the secretaries would write, and that is true. But when Paul is giving this self-authenticate letter here, he's giving credibility to this letter. And he's saying essentially for us as well today that we have the apostolic authority that the word of God has been given to men and women. And this word is given under the authority and the inspiration of the word of God himself. And Paul is now authenticating this with his own handwriting. The word that we have here. So Paul's, why do I say that? Because Paul's message did not come from any, anyone else other than from Christ himself. So friends, what we have today here is God's word for you and for me. What should be our prayer, friends, for us as Christians? Our prayer, I pray for you and I pray for me. 
is that I will have a deep hunger for the word of God. Is the scriptures, let me ask you this question, is the scriptures an open book in our place, in our homes, or is it a book that is lying on the shelf somewhere? The story is told of a pastor who went to visit a person, a lady. Now, no offense about ladies. You can put a gent there if you want to. But anyway, this is what I read in illustration. Right? He went to visit this person in the home. And he said, uh, Mrs. So-and-so, uh, I forgot to bring my Bible. Could I borrow your Bible? Of course, pastor, you can borrow my Bible. And so she brought the Bible to the pastor. And the pastor opened the Bible, and he found her pair of glasses in the Bible. And the lady said, oh, pastor, thank you so much. I've been looking for this pair of glasses for the last seven to eight months. You get the message, right? The Bible has been a closed book in that place. You know, if you're a Christian, and I'm a, and a believer... I pray that God gives us a deep, deep, deep hunger for this word. We can have all the programs in this church. We can have so many things going on. We can do all of these things here. We can have all our meetings. But what's our primary thing, friends, as Christians? The love for the word of God. Do you have that love for the word? Pray for that this morning. And then Paul moves on. Look at verses 12 to 14. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. You can have a read of that section there. Please. Right? Paul is talking about those who want to boast about their circumcision and etc. In verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, Paul comes back to the matter of circumcision and the law. Notice that the false teachers insisted on circumcision by wanting the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to be circumcised to be accepted by God. But what is the motive? What was their motive behind their demand of circumcision? Look at, look at the end of verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, They compelled you to be circumcised that they might not be persecuted for the cross. Verse 13, They desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. You see, two motives for these guys. They don't want opposition or persecution for the cross of Christ. Secondly, they wanted praise. They wanted the praise and congratulations for promoting and upholding orthodox Judaism. They wanted man's praise and so to make a good impression of themselves. They rejected the cross of Christ. They were focused on the externals and the behavior without actually coming to Christ and trusting in what he did for them at the cross. You see, it's a dangerous thing, isn't it? To focus on all the externals. Now I'm not saying externals are, are not important. But how many times we can be caught up with the externals? How many times we can be caught up with doing everything so rightly as it were. And yet have Christ far off from our lives. It can happen. 
You see, I can be focused on lots of things, and so can you. And yet not making Christ become a priority in my life. You see, for Paul, verse 14, but far be it from me, Paul says. Have a look at that's a critical text here in the book of Galatians, and particularly as he's doing this concluding section. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. To Paul, my dear friends, and I trust it is to us as well, the cross of Christ was everything. In Galatians chapter 3, he spoke about Jesus, was crucified on the cross. Galatians 1.4, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us. In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified uh, with him because of what Christ has done. In Galatians 3.13, Jesus redeemed us at the cross. And so the cross of Christ is central to Christianity. The Bible tells us that we have all disobeyed God and therefore we deserve his justice. The Bible tells us that the penalty of sin in no uncertain terms is death. And so since we are sinners, we deserve death and hell. But God in his love and grace sent his perfect and sinless son into the world in order that he may pay a price for your sin and mine. And we read this in Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. For whom? You'll know this text because we memorized it. <laughs> God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, he took our place, friends. And on the cross, Jesus, the sinless one, became sin for you. And he paid the price for the penalty of, us, of our sin. He took upon himself our sin. He became our substitute. The prophet Isaiah said this about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. Let me tell you a story in the Nazi death camp in Poland. The year was 19... 41. Several prisoners had successfully escaped. So in order to make an example, the Nazis randomly chose 10 prisoners to be herded into a cell where they would be starved to death. The name of a Polish Jew, Frandiskek Gaswonok, I think his pronunciation of the name was, Gasovnak, you pronounce that way, was called. He cried out in utter anguish. Cried out, wait, I have a wife and children. What will happen to them? The guards ignored him. Then another prisoner by the name of Maximilian Kolbe, Maximilian Kolbe stepped forward and said, I will take his place. Kolbe was a Catholic priest arrested for hiding Jews from the Nazis. The soldiers took Kolbe in, instead. He was marched into the starvation cell and never made it out alive. Years later, the 82-year-old Frandiskek was interviewed by the NBC. He cried as he told the story 
of Maximilian Kolbe. The camera followed him outside his tiny house to a carefully tended garden with a marble monument which read, in memory of Maximilian Kolbe, he died in my place. You see, friends, there was another who died in our place. We are guilty and deserve the penalty of death and hell. But Jesus stepped up. He came forward and he said, Father, I will take his place. I will take her place. Take me instead. I will die for him and for her and for him and for her and him and her. You see, friends, that's what Jesus did on the cross. When we should have stepped up, he said, I will. So to the people at the time, you see, at, 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 at the time of Paul, the cross was a symbol of ultimate humiliation. The Romans considered the cross as detestable and despicable. And how strange to boast in such a despicable and detestable thing as a cross. Why would you boast on a cro about a cross? It was the most terrible death a person would die. The cross was an embarrassment, an absolute disgrace. And how strange to boast about the cross. You see, friends, but God did something amazing at the cross. And on the cross, his sinless son Jesus died for sinners. And as Paul said elsewhere, that he is the chief of sinners. Atonement was made at the cross. And this is the gospel and it is what God has done for us. And the only way to be made right with God is not of our self-efforts as a ticket to heaven. External signs, keeping of the law, if there is a way to be accepted to God by another means, then the cross of Jesus is of no avail. Here is the centrality of Christianity, the cross of Christ. And so Paul says, I will boast in the cross of Christ because at that cross my Savior gave his all. And so Paul goes on to say two consequences of boasting in the cross. The world has been crucified to me and I am crucified to the world. You see, the world thought of him as a fool. You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, when Paul speaks that the world has been crucified to him, he wasn't talking about the world or the planet Earth. In the New Testament, the world describes the general attitude and the actions and culture of a people who are rejecting God. 
I'm not going to, to it, it, it is saying, friends, that I'm not going to follow the system of the world that is rejecting God. Yesterday I read an excellent article, respective of politics, by, uh, written about Andrew Hasty in The Australian. Did you read about that? Did you read that article, anyone? Have a read of it. I had the photo of the principal, the PTC, when, when, when Andrew was an 18-year-old boy. Andrew Hastie, is, as we know, is an MP in the Federal Liberal Party. And he's taking a stand as a Christian man on things that are anti-Christian. And he's been vilified, for example. Because anything, friends, that we might say that stands up for Christ, we've been vilified. You see, the world out there, we, we love this world that God has placed us in. Of course we do. We live in this world, don't we? We can't go and find some mountaintop place and live there by, as a hermit, can we? No, no, no. Christ has placed you in the world. He has placed me in the world. He has placed you amongst your non-Christian friends, in your workplace, in your schools, in your universities. We go to the shops. We fix our cars. We do this. We do that. We live in this world. We can't go and withdraw from the world. That's ridiculous. We are, we are called to be the salt and the light in this world. But as we do so, friends, never ever let's put our faith in this world because it will get you nowhere. It is a chasing after the wind. I was going through the book of Ecclesiastes this past week. I had a message to share yesterday at the wedding. And I was going through the book of Ecclesiastes systematically. And right through the book, you know, the fundamental thing on the book of Ecclesiastes is this. One, that life is meaningless without God. And secondly, if you're following the world, you will have a meaningless existence. A chasing after the wind. That's what the world does. It's a chasing after the wind. It's after one thing after the other. I'll get you nowhere. It's like bumblebee going from one flower to another. <laughs> Never satisfied. And Paul is saying, the world has been crucified to me. And I am crucified to the world. I'm not going to follow the system of this world that is rejecting God, that is rejecting my Savior. Rather, I'm going to live for the Christ who gave his life for me at the cross. And so Paul goes on, 15 and 16. Neither circumcision counts for anything. You see, Paul's talking about the new creation. Have a look at your Bibles, please. But a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God. You see friends, this is the new creation. You see what counts is a new creation. Result in a new life. What counts is the new creation. Let me refer to uh, 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Right? Have a look at that. Therefore if anyone is in Christ. What do we read please? Can you see the text? Let's read it. What is it saying please? Is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. Oh, wow. You know these extreme makeover programs that you might see on your TVs? 
you suddenly you are this person and you've done everything and you come extremely makeover, looking completely different. Maybe done facial surgeries and some people have said I should be growing more hair, I'll be looking very different. Advanced hair studios and all that kind of stuff. Imagine if I had done that and come and stand in front of you. You would recognize me, would you? You see, makeovers, they won't last. But you know, when you come to Christ, He'll give you a new, you're a new creation. You may not feel new. You get up the next day and still feel the aches and pains. Right? But He makes you a new person. You are a new creation in the work of God. That is that God has taken you. He has put his spirit in upon you. He has adopted you as his child. He has begun a new work in your life. And he is preparing you to one day receive a new glorious body like his. And that new creation work he has started now in your life. The old has gone. The new has come. Have you experienced that? Are you living the new life in Christ? Are you? Or are you still holding to the old things? The big load that you're carrying all the time. Or are you living the new life? The life that God has given you. The life that he has given you. Energy of his spirit. That he has bestowed upon you the spirit of God. And he's given you a new life to live. Are you enjoying that life that God has given to you? That's the point, isn't it? Paul is saying. Remember, it's to be born again, friends. Remember Nicodemus and that story? We won't go through that this morning. You see, Christians are all Abraham's children and are heirs of God's promises. That's why Paul is saying the Israel of God. And now notice, as we keep going and winding up soon. 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear, I mean, this is such a, personal statement of the Apostle Paul. Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You see, friends, he's talking about scars. Most of us will have some form of a scar. And every scar tells a story. Perhaps you've had an operation. Perhaps you've had a fall and you have a scar. I was riding my bike in Sri Lanka. No helmets. Nothing. And I was coming down a gravel pathway. Full speed. Young guy, nothing, nothing worries young people, right? I'm, going to, I'm not going to fall. I came down, boom. I hit a barbed wire fence. Ooh. Came straight through here. Terrible. I knew my parents are going to give me a big trouble. I knew that. So I took some leaves. I thought this is a Sri Lanka medicinal thing you do, you know. Pull out some leaves from a tree, get the milk and just apply there and thought it will all go away. No, it did not. Told my parents and they were not too bad. They were actually quite good. 
did you get hurt? How are you feeling? Etc. But the scar is there. Tells me the story, don't go near barbed wire fences. <laughs> and don't ride bikes when your brakes are not the best. Every scar has a story. You may have gone through an operation. If you had an open heart surgery, the scars will tell you what that surgery was about. Some scars may be from surgery, others from an accident. But when one speaks of scars, we can speak of two kinds of scars, can't we? The physical scars and the emotional scars. You think about it, friends. Sometimes we bear the invisible scars in our own hearts. I'm sure there will be people here this morning who are bearing some scars because of some emotional situation that you have faced in your life. There might have been a time in your past, in our past, when we, when we may have experienced a great loss or gone through a rough time or you're able to escape from a harmful, dysfunctional relationship and you're bearing the scar of something in your life and it's leaving you a mark. And the Apostle Paul here is bearing a scar, friends. And notice what he's saying. The Greek word there is stigmata. He's bearing a scar. And he's appropriate in this case. And the scar that he's bearing is for following Jesus Christ. And we read this in 1 Corinthians. In sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and, day, uh, and a day I was adrift at sea. Here were the marks of discipleship. You see, when Paul would have taken off his shirt, he would have seen the scars. The marks of discipleship. He bore the marks of Jesus. And why would he call it the marks of Jesus? Why would he not call them the marks of persecution? I believe he was implying that the wounds on his body gave him a powerful point of contact with the wounds of Jesus. And for Jesus said, friends, said this in Matthew. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, friends, there is a cost in following Christ. What would this cost be like for you this morning? It would mean perhaps saying no to dating a non-Christian boy or a girl. It may mean that you are facing opposition. It may mean that you have to reschedule your time so that you make time for the Lord and make time to serve Him, to make time to grow in your grace and knowledge of Jesus. It may mean taking a stand for Christ rather than following the crowd. It may mean, friends, giving up a high-paying job and serving Christ full-time. It may mean that you have to get up early on a Sunday morning to be ready for church or in the evening, whatever the service may be. It may mean that you have to think, how am I living my life? It may mean as a husband or a wife, how am I following Christ in my relationship? Am I denying myself, taking up my cross and following Jesus? It may mean persecution. 
You see, I think we have forgotten, I think, I think, that we have forgotten the cost of following Christ. It's so easy, isn't it? We live a comfortable life. We have everything around us. We go home, we put our heaters, or maybe AC units if it's a hot day. We get into our cars, we got music, we got this, that, everything. Life is easy, right? That's the cost. What cost are you paying this morning as a disciple of Jesus? It might mean, friends, that you open up your house and say, come, join me, have a meal. It might mean saying hospitality to my brother and sister in Christ. It might mean something else. I don't know. It may mean that I'm setting aside a certain amount of money so that I can give to the mission field. I can give to the work of the gospel. There is a cost, friends. And we forget the cost. If you're a leader of the church, if you can't give a commitment, don't get on to the job. There are four things that we are looking at. We are hoping to have elders' elections soon in this place. I think four things. Let me remember this thing quickly. We're looking for four C's. Any elders here, please help me if I forget one. I think one, we're looking for conviction of truth and doctrine. Secondly, we're looking for commitment. If you can't give a commitment of time, don't. Take on the responsibility. What else are we looking for? Of course, we're looking for their conversion. What? And we're looking for the fact that they will be credible men who will serve. Be able to serve. If you can't do it, don't. You see what I'm saying? There's a cost. Some of the older people, dear friends, think about that as well. It might mean a cost for you to talk to your grandchild about Christ. It might mean a cost for you to say, look, I got church today. I got this happening today. So anyway, you think about that. And now, as we close, friends, let me tell you a story of a young songwriter named Isaac. Back in 1692, he was an 18-year-old pastor's kid, a PK, right? Got some PKs here this morning? It's okay to be a PK, right? You have a great, you'll have great fathers, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, so anyway, back in 1692, he was an 18-year-old pastor, pastor's kid. He grew up attending church every Sunday. And Isaac loved the Lord, but he thought the music at church was awful and boring, dreadful. It was slow and sad and hardly any young people sang. And Isaac was fed up with it. So he finally complained to his dad. He said uh, about the music at church. When are we going to sing some new songs, dad, at church? He said, well, his father was a wise man. He said, son, if you think you can do better, why don't you write some new songs for church? Why don't you write some new songs? And that's exactly what Isaac did. That week, he wrote two new songs for the next Sunday. And when they sang them, there was a mixed reaction. Some of the older people thought, no, that's not really good. But most of the young people thought that was inspiring and good. And so Isaac kept on writing songs. And that's when Isaac Watts started writing hymns. And eventually, he wrote over 600 songs of praise, including Joy to the World. And he based his songs on a passage of scripture. And one of his most loved songs or hymns came or comes from our text this morning. We don't know. We don't know it by its original title, which was actually called Crucifixion to the World by the Cross of Christ. 
which is known today as the hymn we just sang. What's that hymn? When I survey the wondrous cross. You see, this is what Isaac Watts wrote. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the way in things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Have you? Notice how Paul signs off this letter. Beautiful friends. There's another sermon there, but let me conclude. He does by reminding the Galatians of grace. Have a look there. Verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And so we have a fitting end to this letter. A fitting end. The letter to the Galatians is one about grace. And grace, and grace, and grace in Christ. And so let us, by God's grace, you and I as his people, live by that grace. And be people of grace as we trust in Christ alone as our Savior and no other. In this we have real freedom. And let us boast and glory in the cross of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ, your Son. Help us this morning, Lord, to look to Jesus. Forgive us for the times that we have not. I pray this morning that you will give us a deep love for the Lord, for you. Help us to live our lives as new creatures in Christ. Help us to live with the power of your grace. Help us to experience continuously the real freedom that we have in Christ. And make us men and women who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who love the finished work of Christ on the cross, and who trust in Jesus alone, that we will live a life of grace in response to your grace. Amen.